Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Spurs fans around the world, welcome to the Spurs Show Christmas special live from the legendary 100 Club in Oxford Street, London. I'm delighted to welcome back one of our most esteemed football writers, Martin Lipton. Good evening, Martin. As ever, a pleasure. <laughs> For the second time tonight. Yeah. And... I am especially excited to welcome our special guest tonight, a man who played 137 times for Tottenham Hotspur with great distinction, scoring a goal in the process. Yes, that's right, Mr. Paul Robinson. England's number one. You know, that was always a great comeback in the dressing room. If I ever got stick off anyone in the dressing room and we were playing and some of the lads were giving me stick in the dressing room, just turn around and say, scored more Premier League goals than you. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's great to have you here, Paul. Uh, we're going to talk about your time at Spurs. And actually, when you look back on that, that period, it was an, an interesting period. Lots of extraordinary things happened. And in many ways, it was the start of the renaissance of Tottenham Hotspur because we'd had the terrible, dismal 90s in the sugar years and we'd had... Uh, then we'd started... Once Levy had taken over, we started... Things started to happen and then, of course, while you were... While you, just after you joined, then the push started to happen where we made our way back up to regular, being regulars in the top six. That's the way I see it. But let's talk first about the early part of your career. You started at York City, right? Yeah, gosh, that was a long time ago, yeah. That's home now, that's, that's where I live now. Um, but yeah, started as a kid at York. Even before that, I was at Hull City. Uh, went to York City at the time, who were better than Hull. I mean, how times have changed since then. And then at 14, got picked up by Leeds. 
Um, had 10 very, very happy years at Leeds. Yeah. Obviously saw the very good, the very bad, the very indifferent at Leeds. Um, but I've got a lot to be thankful for for that club because I wouldn't be what I am today. I wouldn't have had the career that I've had today if it wasn't for the academy and the setup and the upbringing that I had there. I had an excellent grounding. I was taught how to become a person, how to become a footballer, yeah. how to conduct yourself. And I've, I've got a lot a lot, of, lot to, th- to be thankful for for that club and obviously I still live in the area now I live in Harrogate up in Yorkshire um, I'm a regular at Ellen Road and I, I spend a lot of time there right. as much as it pains me I'd love to get back to Tottenham more often yeah. I get back every now and then but not enough Yeah. and who did you support as a kid? honestly? yeah whole city oh <laughs> No, that, when you said honestly, I thought, oh, please don't say Arsenal. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, listen, absolutely never. I'll tell you a funny story about Arsenal. Yeah. A, a quick funny story about Arsenal. So, obviously, with my connections at Spurs and my parents, I would never, ever put them in the away end when we played at Arsenal because I didn't want them to experience the whatever else. So, I always put them in, tried to get them tickets in the home end and hospitality out the way. So I went back to my parents' house for Sunday dinner once um, and Arsenal were on telly and they were winning. And I was oh, fucking hell, I can't... St- oh. Yeah. And I moaned, I can't stand them. I moaned about the referee. I was moaning something. Cause I, I very rarely get passionate about football on the television. Yeah. But I really don't like them. And um, <laughs> my mum turned around. My mum turned around and she went... Um, Oh, it's a, don't be so nasty. They always look after us there. It's very nice. The, the, the people are always nice and they're a real nice bunch. I turned around to her and said, you want to hear what they say about you behind the goal? <laughs> uh, well, of course, we all remember you at Leeds. It's Leeds where you emerge. And it was one of those situations where there was a young keeper coming through. They had a very good goalkeeper, Nigel Martin, an England goalkeeper, very well respected. But when Martin, you know, missed games, you would come through and you'd play. And it was one of those quite rare situations where this young new keeper was, was you, you know, you were straight away rated everywhere. Everyone's thinking, this, this kid's good and he's going to, he could, you know, he could play, he could end up number one there or he could play for a big club, which of course you ended up doing. But um, how was it with M- Nigel Martin? Did he, was he, did he take you under his wing or did he see you as a, a young, uh, as a threat? It's funny, because um, I, I live in a, a little town outside Harrogate now called Nairsborough. We live down by the river in Nairsborough and five minute walk away is Nigel. And I play cricket last season when I've not got work commitments, I play cricket. Me and Nigel play cricket together. Great. So when I was 16, I signed as an apprentice for Leeds on £37.50 a week, cleaning boots, cleaning the dressing room, sorting the kit out. And the, the big sign in that year was the first million pound goalkeeper from Crystal Palace, Nigel Martin. So Nigel came into the building and he gave me these Puma Kings. I was his boot boy. He gave me these Puma Kings. He had feet like bananas. They were horrible. <laughs> they were so misshapen. And I was expected to clean them. But looking back on it now with hindsight, I couldn't have had a better role model because subconsciously, you learn from people. Whether you realise it or not, being with somebody every day as a youngster, you're a sponge. So I was watching him subconsciously. Now looking back, I can see it. How he looked after his kit, how he looked after himself, how he looked after his boots, how, just silly things, how he washed his gloves after training. Yeah. And just his, his whole way of life. I couldn't have had a better role model. And then I went from cleaning his boots to taking his place. Yeah. And our relationship never changed. He left and went to Everton. I ended up playing as, as the number one. And still to this day, I'll have a pint with him most weekends. 
Great. So you're absolutely old mates and there was never any friction when you were no, basically... No, never. I mean, there's, there's the old thing about goalkeepers' union and people think, oh, it's, it's a load of rubbish, it, it's not true. And it's, it's difficult because there's, there's three of you that train together. The, the first choice, the second choice, the third choice. And there's a clear pecking order. Nowhere else in the team is there a clear yeah. pecking order like that. And it's very, very hard to be supportive as a number two knowing that you want to play or you think you should play. So I, I spent my time at Leeds. I played, I played 20-odd games, played in the Champions League, emerged onto the scene. And then David O'Leary took me out when Nigel was fit again. What have you done that for? Yeah. And I wanted to leave. I hated him. I hated the club. I went in to see the chairman, yeah. knocked on his door. I want to go. Yeah. And you look back and you think, mm, slightly spoiled, grow up, you're a 19. Yeah. And then learn your trade. And I, I ended up staying, um, learned my trade there under Nigel ended up getting the, the, the first choice slot there. And it was probably the best thing that I did. Yeah. I learned a lot of lessons very, very young at that time at Leeds. Yeah. But the, my relationship with Nigel never changed. And it was, it was genuine. Because you do work with some goalkeepers that you don't get on with. And there is that goalkeeper's union that you talk about. Mm. But you just think, I'm not having him. <laughs> yeah. You just think, what is he doing here? Why is he playing and I'm not type yeah. thing? Fortunately for me, during my career, I didn't have that too often, apart from later in my career when I wasn't playing very well. Um, but at that time, you, 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 you train as a group. Mm. You want everyone to do well. When you're number one, you're quite happy for everyone else to do well. But when you're, un, you're two, number three, you're always thinking, it should be me, it should be me. Yeah. But with me and Nigel, there was never, ever any kind of friction crossword, or... friction, nothing. Mm. I mean, like I said to you, 16 when I first met him. Yeah. I'm 43 now, he's 50, whatever he is. Yeah. And we still have a pint on a Saturday, which is great. That's brilliant. But Martin, do you remember that about Paul emerging very young and oh, the buzz yeah. around him? Oh, very much so. I remember, because um, I'm such a great judge, after the 2002 World Cup, I wrote a piece saying how the future of England was going to be Leeds. It was going to be Alan Smith and it was going to be Paul, Paul Robinson and Jonathan Woodgate. Yeah. Uh, and probably should have been actually. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, Paul, but Paul had to wait another two or three years to actually become England number one. Yeah. Uh, and it should have. And that, look, David James is a good bloke. He should never have been the keeper of the 2004 Euros. I'm sorry, you know. And, and it, the one weakness in that team, arguably, was the goalkeeper in terms of the rest of the team. You go Neville, um, Campbell, Terry, Cole, Lampard, Gerard, Beckham. You know, uh, Owen and Rooney up top, and I think Joe Cole played left side. It was a hell of a... Oh, it was actually, no, it was, it was Paul Scholes. Right. It was a hell of Pretty a team. Pretty good team, yeah. But the goalkeeper was, as was shown in the game against France, which we lost 2-1 when we were 1-0 up after 91 minutes, yeah. the, the, weak, the weak spot was the keeper. Yeah. And I, I thought then that Paul should come in, and as he proved, if you look at the statistics, England's all-time tournament statistics, this fella's got the best goals per minute record of any goalkeeper who's ever played for England in a tournament. That's how good he is. Did you know that, Paul? I had a couple of good centre-halves in front of me. <laughs> right. That's brilliant. All right. Well, tell us about... Obviously, you got in the team at Leeds. You played for England while you were still at Leeds, of course. And then you go and join the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. Tell us about how that came about. Unbeknown to many people, I joined Tottenham in the January before I signed in the summer. So Leeds were obviously in a huge financial crisis at the time. Um, Daniel and John Alexander, the secretary at the time, agreed a fee. Um, and in the January, I came down to White Hart Lane, did my medical, agreed terms, 
and on the transfer deadline day, probably about 10, 10.30 that night, I'm at White Hart Lane, contract signed, all done, ready to go, ready to lodge it with the FA. This is the January before I actually signed in the June, July of the summer. Um, but Leeds were in so much trouble, they didn't know what they were doing. So the idea of me signing for Spurs at that time, Leeds all of a sudden then went, no, we want to loan him back because we haven't got anybody else, we can't get anybody else in. So we want to take him back on loan till the end of the season. And to Daniel's credit, he went, okay, yeah, fine, fair enough. We will have him at the agreed price, all done, et cetera, et cetera. Contract's done. You can have him back till the end of the season. And then the rules, as it were, you could only have so many players on loan. So Leeds had got their quota of players on loan. So it all fell through. So I'm sat at White Hart Lane, January the 30th, 31st, whatever it was, 10.30 at night. I'm there thinking, little fella from Yorkshire, all of a sudden, my big dreams of moving to London, gone, finished. And Daniel gets a lot of stick and he gets a lot of unfair stick, in my opinion, because he's got, a, he's got the, the, the club's best interests at heart. And on that night, I walked out, he shook my hand and he went, I'll see you in the summer. And fair play to him, I was shocking for the rest of the season. I conceded 50 goals, Leeds got relegated and he still signed me. <laughs> what, what was it like for you that, that season? Because that must have been a really tough season. Club was imploding completely. Yeah. Financially, they were absolutely in the car. You got two, you know, I think, did Venable start the season and, and Reed. Oh, no, we had no. so many managers. I mean, it, it was, was, like di- chaos, it was very difficult. It? I mean, no, or Reed started up, it and then Eddie Gray finished it. I you'd think, turn up it? for yeah. training and you'd be like, oh, are you still here? Wondering who was here. And it, it was literally a fire sale. Um, and it got to the point where players had to be sold. And we were that poor. I mean, we, you look at the Leeds United team that got relegated at that time with the, you look at the amount of low knees that were in that team, it's unrecognisable. I think there was me, Mark Viduka and Alan Smith uh, that was still the, the constant in that team that got relegated. And for me, it hurt because I, they, like I said to you earlier, I said, they've given me what I had from a kid and that was my team. I mean, I could have signed for Aston Villa before that when David O'Leary left. David O'Leary left to Aston Villa and, and he went to, he tried to sign me. Um, but it was the year that we beat Oh, that team in Red who played North London for Leeds, <laughs> where Mark Viduka scored with the outside of his oh, boot, yeah. and I think we won 3 2. And yeah, we, season, we stopped yeah. them winning the league and we stayed him. up. Yeah. Amazing. One of the great games. <laughs> so so we, we stayed up that year, and that's what made me stay at Leeds because I could have gone to Aston Villa, and the fact that Leeds were still in the Premier League at that time, I still thought I had unfinished business there, so I ended up staying there. So you turn up at Tottenham thinking, Christ, that was chaos. And actually, <laughs> you turn up at Spurs. And so David Pleat was in charge in the January window. He was a caretaker manager. Yeah, I signed for Pleaty. And yeah, you, signed, signed for you signed for him in January. Yeah. Then you signed for him again because Jack Santini hadn't turned up yet, right? Well, he came. Was that the fellow who couldn't speak English? Yeah. Yeah, that was the guy. So Jack Santini... He wasn't, he wasn't in for very long, bless him. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a really weird um, time. He turned up, and we thought we'd got this big superstar because he'd been manager in France, and France had been such a power. But they'd flopped completely, hadn't they, in the Euros? And loads of new players all turned up at once. Uh, Sean Davis, Eric Edmond, Pedro Mendes, Nabet, uh, Atuba. Timothy. Noradine Nabet. Noradine, what a good guy Noradine is. I still speak to him now. I mean, he was at the end of his career when he came to Tottenham. Yeah, he was. The but he, I mean, half. Ledley but King speaks and, very highly yeah, of him. He's such a good guy. Yeah. I mean, his, his ability was 
top level. He wasn't able to play at the same level as he probably did five or six years yeah. ago. But at his stage of his career, what he brought to the club, his personality, everything that he brought. Yeah. And like you said earlier, I, I genuinely think that was the foundation of what was what we've got now. Yeah. We were the first the risk of you know, blowing your own trumpet. You, you look at that team and you think, we had the elements there together to start making progress towards the top of the league. And you look at the players we had there. Yes, the managerial appointment in Jack Santini was wrong. Yeah. But you get things wrong. Martin was there as his coach. Martin yeah. was the natural successor. Yeah. And he was brilliant. Yeah. Martin was brilliant, wasn't he? And he was the one who really did lift us to the level that we've managed to remain at since. But he's the one who did it. I mean, Glenn Hoddle laid some foundations, but... Martin Joel did it, and of course he only got the job by by default. Um, I think they wanted to give it to him. I think I know Arneson wanted to give it to Joel in the first place. Yeah, that's I spoke right. to but Frank they about they it. Didn't so, sell it did they? Didn't yeah, he was big enough and then they end up with Santini. I think I think Joel's first game was that ludicrous North London derby, wasn't it? Yeah, the five four. Yeah, brilliant game. Not if you were the goalkeeper, wouldn't have thought. Uh, I, I blame the goalie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing game. Uh, but we also, I mean, that team had Defoe and Ledley, obviously, Robbie Keane, Canute, who was a really good player, obviously, uh, Michael Dawson, Andy Reid, Mido. What was Mido like? Uh, all right when he moved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's why I scored my goal against Watford, you know that, don't you? I'm sure it was him who was playing up front. <laughs> so if, if the ball didn't land in his vicinity he didn't move very far <laughs> and I'm sure that's what he did he put, pulled all the defence to one side and just let right. the ball go through just stood there while he went through <laughs> yeah but when you arrived Casey Keller was the number one American goalkeeper and he, but you went straight into the side did you expect that? no I didn't no because I was still so young no. um, and Casey was established as the number one um, but like I said to you earlier I said different people re react differently to competition yeah. and Casey didn't like it he didn't like the fact that I'd come in as this young pretender yeah. who had already been in an England squad yeah. uh, young upstart from Leeds I, don't, I, thought, I think I was alright as a person I don't think I upset him yeah. but he, he genuinely didn't warm to me I mean you, you know it, in, in competition direct on a day to day basis yeah. and there's the, a goalkeeper is it we're all weird, you know, goalkeepers. Oh, yeah. We all like to be liked and we like to know that we're number one. Yeah. And as soon as you feel threatened and challenged, you react in different ways. And Casey didn't like the fact that I was there. And I came in and I genuinely, I was a young kid and with, with my open mind, the way that I was, I thought, coming in pre-season, I'll do my best, I'll try, push him. I came in pre-season, I'm going to give him an opportunity. I played the game, played a couple of more games and I, I did all right. I did really well. And then yeah. I started the season. Yeah. And, and then that was it from there. It was, that's, that's how it that went. Was it. You were in and you stayed in. Um, David Pleat told us that um, Casey Keller couldn't see properly in night games under the floodlights. <laughs> were you aware of that? <laughs> what does that say for me? You only got a game because he can't see. <laughs> I don't know. But it was one you, of the more... Got, so you've got the, the young Englishman or Mr Magoo, haven't you? It's like, <laughs> There's what? me thinking I was all right, but I only well, played because the other one was blind. Well, I must... Well, according to David Pleat, it was one of the more startling revelations that we've ever had. As he sat here, that me and Mike Lee were absolutely slack-jawed. We didn't speak for about five minutes. But, of course, yeah, we talked about it. Stantini starts off the season. We're unbeaten for six games. Everything seems to be going well. But it reminds me, I often think of that period, because if you remember when Santini came in, he was supposed to be a superstar... We, we were unbeaten for six games. I think we were second or third in the table. We played shit every single game, if you remember. And you're thinking, this, the wheels are going to come off here. And sure enough, we then lost six in a row. He resigns. 
What were you told about his resignation? He, he never spoke any English, though. He had an interpreter, did he? Yeah, he, he struggled with his English. He didn't speak a lot at all. And I think that was probably the main problem that he had, obviously. I think to, to try and get his message across. It's very, very difficult when you're in a dressing room. I mean, I was in an England dressing room with Capello. Um, yeah. And the, the fact, when, when there's a language barrier, it's very easy to play on as a manager. As in, if you want to speak to the players, you can speak in English. I'm talking about Fabio. You can talk in English. If, you want, if the player wants to speak to you, it's very easy to don't understand, don't, yeah. doors closed, don't understand type yeah. thing. Whereas Jack was different. Jack, you could see, was very, very educated. You could see what he was trying to implement. But you're running your sessions, you're running your team talk through some kid who's been through a language school. Yeah. It's not him. And yeah. it's very, very hard to be passionate to tell you, you know, I can give you a team talk in my broad Yorkshire accent and I can, you know, make you feel like you want to go out and play yeah. for me. Yeah. Whereas he would get wound up and he would talk and then there's another guy who would tell you in like, his way. Yeah. And it was difficult. And I think he was as frustrated as we were. So were you not surprised, even, even though it was very, very early in his tenure when he, when he walked? No, I, I don't think he enjoyed it, in all honesty. I yeah. think he struggled from day one. I mean, like I said to you, the language barrier was huge. Yeah. And if you're trying to give a message across to people through somebody you don't trust, how does he know that this guy's telling us what he's saying anyway? And we ended up finishing ninth under Martin Joel. Everyone loved Joel. The players seemed to love him. The, certainly the fans loved him. Not really sure how popular he was upstairs at Tottenham. Of course, in the end, he was, he was ousted. But he had a reasonable run before that. And then the following season, uh, he had a proper transfer. And again, a whole raft of players came in. Routledge, Timu Tainio, Staltieri, uh, Aaron Lennon, Jermaine Genus, <laughs> Lee Young-Pyo, uh, Tom Huddleston and and I remember this is one of those signings I remember where I was when you heard Edgar Davids now Edgar Davids comes in we're thinking now that is a genuine world that, I mean that's Klinsman level in a way in terms of his profile and his what was he like? I had the pleasure of living on the same street as him <laughs> <laughs> me, him and Robbie Keane used to lift share most days um, yeah, he was interesting. <laughs> he was, he was in, obviously in the twilight of his career and he couldn't do what he did five years ago, but he was obsessed. His level of intensity in the physio room, the treatment room, he wanted to get in. So we'd have, we'd have a game, we'd, we'd come back at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. We'd be in for a warm down at 10 o'clock. So me and Keane would go, right, pick you up at half eight. Oh shit, it's Edgar's time to drive. <laughs> He's picking us up at half six. He's really? going in for physio. Just, oh, yeah. he was brilliant. He was. Super, super pro. Yeah, we used to, you know, the crazy frog. That's what we call him, the crazy right. frog. Right. You know, and he, and yeah, he had that that's what because of like, the glasses. With he his looked, eyes. Yeah. But he's such a nice bloke. Really? Yeah, yeah. Such a lovely, genuine bloke. And, you know, you, you, people from the outside, you read and you look in, and the people would question his reason for coming to Spurs. They would question his commitment and everything. But I guarantee you, he was 100% committed. If, the, if we lost or he didn't do what he wanted to do, he was one of the worst losers I would ever, I'd ever seen. Yeah. I mean, we were all friends, but he'd have fights after five-a-sides. Everything mattered to him. Yeah. Like, Edgar, mate, relax. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. And he's, he's gone and he's wired. Yeah. And we'd be in the car on the way home and he'd be like, 
what about this? Like, yeah. Edgar, it's finished, it was training. Yeah. Oh, no, he's brilliant. Yeah. And there were, it was said that he had a, what you might call an altercation with Robbie Keane, but it sounds like it may have been one of many, was it? Oh, every day in the car, yeah. yeah they'd, he... they'd moaned about something, but they were both such good consummate professionals, yeah. and they had such high standards, that if they thought either of them had dropped below that, then put it this way, you'd want both of them on your side in a five-a-side team. Right. There's a touch of the Dave Mackay's about that, isn't there? They say that about Dave Mackay. Uh, to be fair, what you're saying, it's no surprise you had a tear up with Messi the other week then. At the, yeah. that, was, that was quite nasty. You see Edgar sat yeah. there in his suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, really. And that first full season for, for Martin Joe, we had one defeat in the first 11 games and six clean sheets for you. Did you think we were onto something? Well, you'd hope so, yeah. yeah. I mean, with, with Martin coming in from, from Jacques, it was different, training was different. And it was almost that Martin was there as a number two who wasn't allowed to be the manager, but then he was. And uh, Chrissy goes under the radar a lot. Chrissy Uton was the, 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 yeah. the, the glue that hold, held that club together. Yeah. Chrissy was brilliant. I mean, the, the managerial credentials, what he showed at Brighton, um, it showed the, the, a different personality to him. I was at Burnley and I was sat on the bench when we played Brighton. And I saw a different Chrissy as a manager to the Chrissy that I know from, from Tottenham. But I think he is Tottenham through and through. Yeah. And I think regardless of who the manager was or what it was, he had the club's best interests at heart. And, and still to this day, him and his family are very, very highly regarded, especially in my life and in Tottenham's life as yeah. well. Yeah. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So at the end of that season, I mean, we, I remember as a Spurs fan, we were feeling great, better than we'd felt for years, really. I mean, it, we felt really good about And then we go into the last game knowing that all we've got to do is win at West Ham and we seal uh, a place in the Champions League. We can't believe it. All our dreams are coming true. But what, and then, I mean, and that's why the, the Arsenal game, when you go there and you're one it up, and if, uh, looking back, if you, if you hold on... Now, you, 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 it's Spurs finished fourth, don't they? Yeah. And, and you played incredibly well that game as well. And they did it on the nicked an equaliser for them quite late on. Yeah, I think Staltieri got caught uh, in possession and Henri banged one in late on, didn't they, after we'd... Yeah. But that, that's why we needed to win, wasn't it, West Ham? Otherwise, we'd have been done and dusted. I yeah. think that's right, isn't it? No, we, we needed to better their result, didn't we? That was on the, the last case. day. Yeah, we need to on better the last their day. result. So if we won, we, we were definitely going to yeah. be all right. So what... I'd, I mean, what happened? What are your memories of that day? Because that is, still to this day, I mean, I, I'm, no, I'm not one for conspiracy theories. But, but Premier League hierarchy were all at Ivory. That's what you're going to say. What? Sorry? The whole entire Premier League hierarchy... Were at Arsenal. Were at Arsenal. Yes, yes. exactly. And they had to play the game. And they, That's it. They had to have a, a resolution we, to it. We yeah. tried to get the game called off. Yeah, I know. Big star. But what I was mean, it? What was it? How did it unfurl as a drama? I mean, you were in. Were you one of those affected? No. Okay. No. So you're. I was in when, bed. What's the first? I you was hear fast about asleep it? in bed. I mean, we. So we get. Uh, when you're you've got an away game. Yeah. You're away from the family. You get your own room, and you think, great, I've got to lie in. 
brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So away game, you generally meet in reception at 11 o'clock for a walk. Right. Go for a walk at 11 o'clock and the morning's your own. If you get up for breakfast at nine o'clock, that's up to you. Yeah. Or the, 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 the route is you meet, a bre- meet at 11 o'clock for a walk and right. then you have pre-match meal. Yeah. So I'm thinking, great, night away from the missus, night away from the kids, another lion tomorrow. Papers in bed. Fast asleep in bed. Phone rings. Hello? What? The doc. Are you all right? Of course I'm fucking all right. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Everyone's sick. I'm not. Put the phone down on him. Phone rings again. He went, are you sure you're all right? I went, doc, I'm fine. No problem. What's wrong? He went, well, there's a few of the lads that are sick. So I went downstairs and he said, can you come downstairs? We're going to have a meeting. And at the risk of using Peter Kay's line, it was like a scene from Saving Private Ryan. There was just bodies strewn everywhere. Just, yeah. Everyone was just like, what's up with everyone? Anyone going to play or what? Shit. And I was, I was one of the few that was unaffected. Um, yeah, the lads were genuinely not great. There was yeah. a few that probably shouldn't have played that played. Oh, yeah. Um, what it was, I mean, the, the conspiracy theory, I can't really see that in all honesty. I, I, you can't see somebody going to that type of level. You look at the French before the World Cup final. Yeah. There, there was a bug in the camp. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a bug in the camp. I mean, I, I was But this fortunate. one, this particular... Just hear me out on my conspiracy theory. Because I'm not into... Just, I promise you, I don't I'm believe not, it. but I've got one. Is that what you're going to say? But this one, you've got to follow the money. Ask him who killed JFK, you know. It's like... <laughs> no, but they, their whole... It was an existential crisis for them. They had to be in the Champions League. Their whole business plan depended on it because of this stadium that they were having to pay for. Remember, David Dean didn't want to do the stadium. He no. said they couldn't afford it. And he said it was a bad idea. It will ruin the football club because we'd be paying for the stadium. Here they are on the brink of not getting in the Champions League. Everything falls apart. Always follow the money. It was worth millions and millions and maybe the whole existence of the whole thing. All they've got to do is novel a plate of, lasa- you know, a tray of lasagna in a hotel and everything's going to be all right. As you say, well, the whole hierarchy was due at Highbury for whatever well, that, reason. That was the thing. I know that um, Daniel and his closest advisors never forgave Scudamore. Yeah. Never forgave Scudamore for, for yeah, not, because not letting them have the game, uh, to put the game yeah, back it, three days. It was crazy. And presumably Scudamore was being lent on left, right and centre at Highbury, right? He was being, being wined and dined. I don't think he was had to be lent on. That's the problem. He'd already decided. He okay, so it was nothing he, he to do with Arsenal pressuring him. No, he just he, he decided that you couldn't extend the season because if you if you did it once, you had to do it in the future. But but this but situation, but it's an unprecedented situation. Yeah, it was it was unprecedented, wrong. and there's never been anything like well, it and since. The thing is, let's see if Manchester City or Liverpool or, or Man United had this situation. Yeah. What happens in the future? Yeah. I don't believe for one minute that there was any kind of skullduggery, skullduggery at all. Okay. I think it was one of them. Moments or situation, staggering coincidence. But I think the time scale was too much for the Premier League. Yeah, they had every single game live on television in four hours. They've all gone. What do we do? We yeah. can't do anything. We've sold the world rights. We've done everything. Yeah. For listen, I saw it firsthand. The lads weren't well. There was something amiss. Yeah. How that was caused, I I, I don't think there was any outside influence okay. in that. Oh. But 
the situation should have been handled differently. Yes, I do think it the, should other... have, the game should have been postponed, but I think the, the Premier League handled it wrongly yeah. because they were under such pressure with television rights, everything else, and because there was so much rest on it. You look how much money Ride rode on that Champions League game yeah. between yeah. us and Arsenal, yeah. the amount of money that exactly. was on that game, yeah. they couldn't put their neck on the line and go, right, okay, you can call your game off, but Arsenal have to play yeah. because then we'd be at an advantage to say, we know no, what's we gone did. on. Yeah. So the, the actual decision should have been, right, okay, those four games are off. Yeah. We play them on Monday. But nobody had the kahunas uh, to stand the up and do it. The trouble was, it was the only issue on the day. Yeah. So they sold for the, la for the, two, for the week leading up, yeah. it was who gets fourth. Yeah. Yeah. The title had been won, everything else had been decided. So they'd sold it on this, this one event and that meant they couldn't pull out. And that, I think that's the, that's the problem. And what do you remember about, you know, the coach on the way there, what it was like in the dressing room? I mean, it must, it must be so weird because you'd never experienced anything like that, right? It was odd, yeah, it was, it was really odd. It was a case of get through a game rather than a game that we should have been looking forward to, embracing, looking forward to winning. Yeah. It was a case of trying to get a result, yeah. seeing who could get through. I mean, I, I was at the game and I thought they put in a valiant effort in the circumstances. You could tell half the players were, in, were really, really struggling. And yeah, yeah they, lot, didn't, they didn't lose heavily. Yeah, a lot of the lads were, a lot of the lads were sick. Yeah. But footballers love excuses. I'd like to think that we could have dug in a little bit more. Really? Yeah, I do, yeah. Really? I think footballers like excuses and I think there's, there was an excuse there where, every, yes, the lads were sick, the lads were poor, poorly. Some of the lads that were really sick played and played really, really well. Yeah. And I'd like a few of the others to, to have been able to stand up and do the same. Really? That's interesting. Well, if they had, we might have been in the Champions League earlier then. Ask about Prague. Prague. Someone's just shouted, ask about Prague. What, my singing escapades you, in Prague? You conducted yeah. the whole... It was Alex. You conducted the whole away end in Prague, right? Yeah, because we got into Europe, we we're in Europe, and then and then there we are in Prague. Tell us about that. I wasn't playing particularly well at the time. I don't even know if I was playing that game, and I just think there was a few anti-Arsenal songs and a few songs, and I was out there warming up, yeah. and it was Robbo gives a song. So I thought, why not? And that's how it started. Yeah. Every week from then on, I was conducting the orchestra. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, you were. It, it, I mean, you know, I'm not just saying that you were a particularly popular. Figure. I mean, as you will know, the crowd that loved you at YR Lane, and the biggest reason for that was how good you were, but there were other reasons as well. So being a cheerleader did not hurt at all, that's for sure. So we finished, um, so we get into Europe, let's have a look. European competition for the first time since 1999, which was huge for us, and the trips to Prague, Leverkusen and Braga. We went, to Seville, went out to Seville in the quarterfinals. We were done in cold by the Premier League then as well. What's that? They had to play... Thursday, yeah, Saturday, yeah, and it was it was ridiculous. That's right. It was That's ridiculous, right. yeah. and it was because they couldn't move the Chelsea game. Well, yeah, maybe you move. For, look, yeah. look after both teams. Never happens in other countries. They always prioritise mm. the teams that are in Europe yeah. and help because they know it's good for the country. You played. Right? It was Thursday night away in Seville, and then Saturday lunchtime at Chelsea. Absolutely yeah. outrageous. Yeah. And then more key players joined the club. Zakora, Didier Zakora, Asuikoto, bit of a bit of an eccentric. Uh, Chimbonda, what's that coming over the hill? It's Chimbonda. <laughs> Malbronk, 
and the mercurial Dimitri. I mean, where do, where do you begin in asking what these people were like? But Berbatov, what was Berbatov like when he arrived? Berber was funny. I mean, played with Berber for, I think, three years. And still to this day, I don't know whether he's shy or arrogant. Right. <laughs> he, used to, he used to come in every day dressed up like he was going for a night out. Yeah. He's such a... I mean, he was like the Fonz. <laughs> so we all, we all had our sponsorship deals. We were, all, we, all had, we were all sponsored. I mean, I was sponsored by Nike at the time. And all the lads, you get out of bed, you put your sponsored trackie on a pair of trainers. Berber, he'd come in jeans that somebody had to hold for him to jump into to get him on these boots are great big points at the end leather jacket and he'd just go and change in the corner the, the, he'd walk in everyone, all the girls in reception just go wow <laughs> but you know you just can't be asked to get dressed or in the morning you just put your stuff on not Berber every single day he looked immaculate yeah. he wasn't a bad player either was he he was a good player yeah what was Asuakoto like Benoit oh Benoit yeah Benny was a good lad if it, if it had just liked football, it'd have been even better. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I bumped into him in the away end at Fulham once when we were playing at Fulham. So he popped up. That was when he'd fallen out. I can't remember who he fell out with now. He, got, he was ostracised from the side. And he came such, such a nice guy. So laid back. Yeah. So laid back. But such a talent as well. If yeah. he'd have had more drive and more passion to, to reach the top, can yeah, you could have done. Can you... I mean, it's really difficult. If anyone's a football fan can't believe it but I know there's, there's a few players who actually don't like football yeah, it's just a job there, he's one look I think Ben White asked Ben White yeah. an, another one David Batty he always said he yeah. didn't actually like football <laughs> Bats is brilliant so you talk about David Batty so we played with him at Leeds in his, his second coming at Leeds he was like lads love you to bits uh, at a great time class every one of you as my best friend but as soon as I finish you will never see or hear from me ever again <laughs> And guess what? Nobody has seen or heard from him since. Brilliant. Oh, I mean, uh, so that next season we finished sixth, make the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, semi-final of the League Cup, but the most memorable game, of course, we've already talked about Staltieri, was that 4-3, incredible 4-3 away win at Upton Park and that last-minute winner from Staltieri of all people. Do you remember that day? Even he couldn't have missed that, could he? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a good game. And, and, I mean, it ebbed and flowed. We took our chances. But then, yeah, um, literally, was it last minute they yeah. got, the, got the rebound? Off, was it yeah. Robert Green in goal, I think, at the time? Yeah, it was. It was, um, was it Defoe's shot? I think it was. Because yeah. it, it, we were 2-0 down... Back to 2-2, two, 3-2 two, three, two down, 3-3. Three, you know, three, three. West Ham pushing for a winner. Yeah, and a, and a counter-attack. Yeah. Uh, was it Lennon? Who, it must have been Lennon, but presumably, or, or Defoe's. I think it's Defoe's shot. Defoe. Yeah. Defoe. And then, he's, and then Staltieri. I mean, I wasn't there, but I watched it on the TV, but it still remains one of the most joyous, joyous moments, especially as I've got two West Ham supporting brothers. That didn't it? <laughs> uh, following season, we at last lift a trophy and uh, in the league we only won one of our first 12 uh, which included that crazy game the 125th anniversary game against Aston Villa uh, but then we win the um, what, what do you remember about Martin Joel's sacking it was strange wasn't it because I think there was a lot made that he was done at half time yeah in certain you know parts of the media yeah but actually as players we hadn't realised that and I think it, it came a little bit of a shock I think Martin had... He was a very, very good man-manager. 
and he took things to heart. He was very, very personable with the players. And you could see that results and performances really, really affected him. And I think it started to get him down a little bit. And he never... One thing that Martin never, ever did was lose the dressing room yeah. because the players respected him so much. We really, really enjoyed playing for him, really wanted to play for him. But I think he, he got a little bit knotted up with himself, yeah. as in he gets himself down, he beats himself up too much. Because yeah. he, is, he, is he, he, is, he was a very good man-manager and he was able to take a team higher than what he, was, what, what he showed that he could do. But I think he was his own worst critic. But as far as him being sacked at half-time as players, we had no idea. I think his fate had been sealed by the Fulham game because you were 3-1 up and cruising. And it ended up 3-3 where they had two shots towards the end. And, you know, one of those things happened in football. And the ball just took against him after that game. I, I, I was getting phone calls. And I was saying, come on, calm down. But they, they decided. And then it was that yeah. European game on the Thursday night that they, they did it. Yeah, I always got the impression there that he wasn't as popular with the board as he was with the no, players and the fans. Yeah, which was a shame. I then mean, uh, <laughs> then comes an interesting appointment. <laughs> Juan de Ramos. What do you make of him? Can I go now? <laughs> There's always one manager where the guest says that. They say that. I can't think of any player from that team, seriously, yeah. who's got a good word to say about him. No. Gen- I mean, even people who haven't got a good, a bad word to say about anybody will make an exception yeah. for one day about us. It's a strange thing why they... Because I think in, in those days, I always used to think Levy used to lose to someone and then try and get the person who'd caused the defeat. And I think he saw in Ramos, oh, he must be really good. They've knocked us because Seville had knocked us out under him. And they'd won the UEFA League in, in yeah. 06 against... He against. was the hottest property at the time, actually, wasn't he? As Timing-wise, he was sort of the hot ticket, available hot ticket manager. Yeah, he did really well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> But what was his... I mean, obviously, no English again? Uh, English when he chose to speak English. Again. Um, had an interpreter with him. Uh, from, a, from my personal point of view, I always enjoyed my management. Somebody yeah. who you could speak to. If I wasn't playing, I'd go and ask him why I wasn't playing. Yeah. If I wasn't playing, why aren't I playing? What can I do right? His, for, for me, the, the thing with one day was he had a perceived idea of me. You look at foreign managers with English goalkeepers... Not a very good record, in right. the same way as Joe Hart with Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. He had a perceived idea of Joe before he came in, and he was gone. You look how many English goalkeepers have exported into Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1. Not yep. many English goalkeepers have gone abroad. Yeah. So foreign managers have this perception of English goalkeepers, and I believe he had that of me before he came in. Yeah. He's, he's right to do that because everyone's ha- football's a game of opinions. Yeah. If a manager comes in and goes, he's not good enough, I need to change him, then okay, that, that's his opinion. I wasn't playing particularly well at the time. I'd had my confidence shot by what happened with me in England. Yeah. And I was in and out, and he, then he decided to put me in and out of the team, yeah. which killed me. If I'd have had a club manager that supported me through that time, I think I would have stayed at a, a higher level with Spurs for, for longer if you like but he came in he had perceived ideas of me of what I could could and couldn't do yeah and the fact that he was impersonable to me didn't go well I think as yeah. you've got to know me tonight I'll yeah. go and knock on his door and say hey what's, what's yeah. going on what, and, what's happening and if he didn't come back to me I'd kind of 
tell him what I thought of him. Yeah. So our relationship didn't last long. And it's a bad combination. It's like a slippery slope, isn't it? But you signed a very long contract, didn't you? Was it a seven-year contract? That you I, signed? Signed, I signed a five-year contract five and two years in my yeah. option. It was my option, not the club's option. Which my is option. very unusual in football for any player. Yeah. So that was such a long contract. But then you got, then a few, you had a bit of bad luck. You had that terrible... That was pure bad luck at the England thing. But of course, if you're playing for England, as we know from recent experience, and we always know, we think everything is scrutinised to the nth degree. So suddenly you're the guy who's, who's that's happened to. And then a manager comes in who doesn't fancy you because he's got this preconceived idea of what an English goalkeeper is. And he's putting you in and out. He's dicking you around. He's not telling you why. For a goalkeeper, is it right to say that for a goalkeeper, confidence is even more important than it is for an outfield player? Yeah, hugely so. And especially in the games. So he'd, he'd put me in for certain games in the league and then he'd take me out in other games yeah. and then he'd play me in the League Cup final and yeah. then he'd play me as and when he needed me. Yeah. And it was, it was the time in my career where, yes, I wasn't playing particularly well confidence-wise. I was nowhere near where I was 12 months ago. Yeah. But I didn't need him as a manager at that time. He was yeah. the wrong... T- for me, it was, it, was the, it was the wrong fit at that time. And I think the fact that we, we clashed didn't help either. And... The English culture, we talk about this with Fabio Capello, with the England team and everything else. Arsene Wenger came into Arsenal years ago and he changed the culture slowly. Yeah. One day came in and tried to do it overnight. You do this, this, this. If you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. And I was a case, right, well, I'm off. I'm yeah. not having that. Yeah, yeah. But the best thing for me was lifting the trophy before I was able to leave. Hindsight, looking back, did I jump ship too early? Yes, absolutely I did. Because if I had my, my, the knowledge that I've got now at 43 years of age, looking back thinking, well, that clown's not going to last long. I'll sit here and sit on the bench, just sit on your hands and wait, because yeah. he'll be gone before you're gone. Yeah. And Harry Redknapp's a manager that I would have loved to have played for. Yeah. So hindsight's a great thing to have. Yeah. Did I jump ship too easy? Yes, yeah, I, I did too quickly. Um, but at the time, I couldn't see the wood for the trees in... Not the same way as Ronaldo is at the moment, but when you're always used to being number one and somebody all of a sudden tells you you can't be, how you react as a person is different. Yeah. And I wanted to play football. I was 29, 30 years old. I didn't want some guy coming into what I perceived as my club and my environment telling me that I couldn't play football anymore. Yeah. What are your memories of that day lifting the League Cup, which is the last trophy we won? A dinosaur like me as well. I mean, (laughs) we need one, don't we? I mean, it was... It was the best day of my whole career. People will Brilliant. ask you and they'll say that the, the question you get asked very, very often is, what's, what's the greatest moment of your career? People will say, oh, the day I made my debut, the day I made my England debut. Yeah. Mine is lifting a trophy at Wembley for Brilliant. Spurs because it was a club that I have very, very fond memories. Great camaraderie with. And as a kid, you grow up, you, you think of the old Wembley Stadium. I never got to play at the old Wembley Stadium. I trained there as a under-21 when you get promoted to train with a first team. So for me to actually climb the steps at Wembley and win a trophy, at the same time when I've actually gone, do you know what? I know my time is done here. I'm finished here. But actually I can give something back. Mm. So it was special for me. Yeah. Well, it was special to us as well, I can tell you. What that do you mean? That was a, day. It was a really odd game, was it? Because... Spurs had played really well and then went behind to the, the, the drop of free kick. It was, a, it was a good free kick, let's be honest. Oh, he's done me because I've gone that way. Yeah. You know what, I'll, I'll sit on the TV now and criticise goalkeepers to the hill. You've got your wall there. What's the first thing you don't do? Go that way. Yeah. And I did that and he put it in that corner. But then 
it was one of those games where you think, come on, they, they can do something here. They, and the, you get the penalty to equalise. And Takor has a fantastic chance to win it, doesn't he? In yeah. Anybody else but Didier in that situation. <laughs> we laughed about it afterwards. Yeah. But there's, there's a story leading up into that. So all the, all the criticism that I'll give one day and the, the fact we didn't get on and the fact he was the reason, he is the reason that I left Spurs. Yeah. And before that cup final, he did something completely out of character because he came into the training ground, he changed this, he changed the food, he changed the diet, he changed the training regime, trained, changed everyone's thought. And I can't think of one person that addressed him that liked him at all. But then before that cup final, he went completely against character. So the night before, he went, we're meeting at nine o'clock at the training ground in the morning, bring some old clothes, bring an overnight bag and bring his suit for the game. So we've all gone, what's going on here? So anyway, we've gone to the training ground, got on the bus, we've gone to the Grove Hotel, got to the Grove, this is the night before the cup final. 10 o'clock in the morning, put your old clothes on, we're going outside. We get to this field outside the Grove Hotel, it's like a stag do. There's archery set up, there's go-karting, there's dune buggy, all kinds of different stuff set up. We're all looking at each other going, is this a test? <laughs> yeah. What's he doing here? Yeah. So anyway, he's completely gone against his character, yeah. lighten the mood. We've, had, we've not trained. The day before the final, we've not trained. We've had this stag do in the middle of a field, the, the Grove Hotel. We've all gone back to the hotel, got showered and changed. He says, right, seven o'clock dinner. Come down for dinner, all of us, as usual. Come down in our tracksuits, have dinner. And then we're in one of those like function rooms, conference rooms in the hotel. And then the dividing door opens just as we finish dinner. And there's a full-on casino set up there <laughs> with a load of fake money. And there's like half a dozen beers at the side, a couple of glasses of wine. What? We've gone, is he taking the piss? Is he testing yeah. us? Or what, what's, what's going on here? We've got a cup final tomorrow. Yeah. So anyway, what he's done cleverly is he's taken our mind away from everything. Yeah. None of the lads had a drink. Nobody touched anything at the, the risk of... Yeah. Is, is this the right thing is to do or not yeah. but we had dinner we finished at 8 o'clock we had a couple of hours in this fake casino with fake money and all had a good laugh all went to bed at 10 o'clock and then the rest is history but Lime. that's the only little bit of credit that I'll give him that's amazing isn't it that is really really extraordinary I've never heard that before but as you say because the rest of the time is an absolute wanker you left <laughs> <laughs> I won't disagree. <laughs> when you left, there were rumours that Arsenal wanted you. Is that right? No. Okay. Good. No. Right. It was it was Villa or Blackburn. So right. the, the the when I left, I'd had meetings with uh, an Aston Villa manager at the time, who wanted me, but his owner was American, who lived reasonably close and wanted a certain American goalkeeper from Blackburn, right. which is why I ended up at Blackburn and not Aston Villa. Right. Arsenal wanted me years ago before I signed for Spurs. They wanted me and Harry Kewell in a double deal. Right. No, thank you. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, you go to Blackburn. You had a fantastic... You completely rebuilt all of your confidence. You're back in... The you had a fantastic time at Blackburn, right? Blackburn was great. I mean, you look... People look back at my career now. I spent seven years at Blackburn. Yeah. And people say, you play for Blackburn. They don't, don't actually realise I played there. Right. But that's another team I managed to get relegated as well as Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, again, financial problems off the field and with the Venkis coming in and different things. Yeah. But at the time when I signed, when John Williams was chairman, I signed, it's funny because I signed for Blackburn in the year Blackburn actually finished above Spurs in the Premier League. Yeah. So I was signing for a good, well-established Premier League club 
and for me it was a case of okay I'm going back home I'm going back up north not to my side of the country but the west side of the country and I needed to get out of Spurs because it was my club this imposter had come in and he told me I wasn't allowed to play and I didn't like it and I needed to leave yeah yeah well, it, I mean, nobody would begrudge you those 189 games for Blackburn. The only thing I do notice as I look at these stats, you, you didn't even score one goal for him. <laughs> I, got, I got one for Leeds. I know, I've you got, got one for Leeds. But do you know what? A Wikipedia is not even on there. You want to get in touch with him about that. The Leeds guy, I knew you had scored one, but... I wouldn't believe everything you read on Wikipedia. No, no, absolutely. But these other stats are correct. Well... Paul, uh, you know, it's been brilliant having you here. I, I absolutely think, I don't think anyone here would disagree. In those, that period, the noughties, you're very much one of the most popular players we had. No question about it. And um, brilliant England goalkeeper as well. Just tell us, you've touched on it, but just tell us, because we always like to end. Tell us what Tottenham Hotspur means to you now. I played the best football of my career there. I was given the opportunity at 23, 24 years old to move to a huge football club and the fan base that was there. And I think it's the minimum requirement. The minimum requirement is maximum effort and play a certain way. And I think the Spurs fans realised that from day one with me. I hate losing, regardless of who I'm playing for. And I quickly got an affinity with the, with the fans there. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult for us as players to appreciate fans regularly. You know, you, you think that fans come over after games, and uh, sorry, players come over after games to the fans to celebrate what they've done on the pitch. And I think a lot of players probably think that. But for me, it was always to thank you as fans for what you've done. Whether we were shit, whether we were good, whether we were bad, it was always to come and thank you for a day off work, the amount it's cost you, what you've done, the efforts you've gone to to follow us as a team. And it's, it's, it was never about... After a game, it was never about, oh, weren't we great today? Or, oh, I'm sorry, we're normally great, etc. For me, it was always about enjoying the moment with the fans and thanking the fans and appreciating what they've done, which is why that year I bought the footballs for the fans and I kicked the footballs in because us as players, we can't stand there at the microphone after every game and go, thank you all, we were awful today, but I really appreciate what you've done. Whereas you lot can stand there and go, that was whatever. Yeah. We don't get the opportunity to do that back to you. Yeah. And sometimes it's often portrayed differently as if we, if we, certainly in my point of view, if I come to the fans after the game, I'm saying thank you. And yeah, we weren't whatever, but thank you for what you've done. And that was the, the only reason, hence the reason it cost me a pair of gloves every game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, uh, on behalf of everyone here, I'd like to say thank you very much for everything you did in a Spurs shirt. Martin, thanks for coming along tonight. I really appreciate it. No, it's great. I mean, Paul encapsulates, actually, with his attitude, Absolutely. what you want from a, as a fan, yeah. from a player. Yeah. Someone who you can tell genuinely cares. And yeah. some, some players can pretend to care. Yeah. He couldn't pretend to care. It's not in his nature. Yeah. It's what he, you see it now. You saw it playing for England. You saw it playing for Spurs. You saw it through his career. Yeah, He's a top totally. bloke. And it's been great to be with him. Great words to end on. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Robinson. <laughs>